Hey, good morning, you know, it's, I mean, it's just barely morning. I've been asleep for a long time, though. I went to bed real early. When you're retired, you can make day, night, and night, day, can't you? You can if you want to. I want to respond to a question. I like questions. I think that's the way to make things go. That's the way to make things better. That's the spice of living. Answers are dull and boring. Usually they're wrong. They're incomplete. Nobody's got the complete answer. Beware of those who say they do. The smart person knows they're ignorant. Socrates said so. The man from Nazareth said, be humble. It's hard to be humble when you're so good looking, so rich and so handsome. Ask the president. Hey, I got a question from a, from a friend. And I really do count this man as a friend. All these years have gone by and I don't think I've ever seen him in person one time. But I count him as among the greatest friends in my life. I hope he knows that. His name is John Terrell Fry. Good morning, Terry Fry. I hope he hears this broadcast. I hope Nancy Martindale hears it. They were great friends. They were an example to me of friendship. I was a lost sheep gone astray. But it was 1967 and I couldn't tell anybody that. So I had to pretend to be a tough rebel. <laughs> Here's how tough I was. I enjoyed Ms. McPherson's Latin class. <laughs> I couldn't tell her that either. Anyway, Terry Fry asked this question. And you could ask it uh, to yourself, too. He said, would you like to name the five films that you could watch from now until the end of time? And you'd never be tired of it. Yes, I can, and I'll tell you why. You know why we can do that? Because once in a while, and I mean once in a great while, there is a uh, artist who breaks through the pond scum of contemporary worlds. And there's always a layer of nonsense in every culture. There's a layer of pond scum, nonsense, dead air, unthought, uh, ideas, you know what I mean? And there's a, if you're lucky, you, you get in the neighborhood of someone who rises to the sky from the very bottom of the pond and, and you think, wow, isn't that something? And these are artists. And right now, John Terrell Fry is asking me about the artists who make our films. And that's just a really big, huge subject. You know, Jim Morrison wanted to be a filmmaker. I think Jim Morrison was an average, fair to average musician. But I think it had been a lot more meaningful to the rest of us if he could have been a, a filmmaker. I would like to have seen Jim Morrison's films. I think he did make one. It's on the YouTube. I don't want to talk about that right now. Ask me about that again later. Well, Mr. Fry, I choose to answer your question because the films that I'm thinking of are exactly those kinds of films that are the one that breaks the surface tension of the contemporary world and it's boring, rigid, paralyzed, brain-dead thinking. Much like that of both political parties of almost all people that we meet, 
brain dead, paralyzed by habits, incapable, really, of overcoming inertia. Now, look this up in your physics book. Inertia is a huge force. It's the force that sits in the, in the uh, living room and turns on the same boring program. Inertia is the same force that just walks through the day just like it was yesterday. And the shadow of tomorrow is the uh, past already done gone. I can't get out of my mind the Bob Dylan song that came out two days ago, Murder Most Foul, hidden in the vaults of Bob Dylan's archive. A masterpiece, as if the whole Bible were released at one time yesterday and revealed to be the book. Well, Bob Dylan's like that. And when you listen to... Uh, Murder Most Foul, it makes your spine tingle. I don't want to talk about that either right now. Ask me about it later, though. I haven't talked to my grandson so long, I've nearly forgotten what it sounds like. We talked about things like that. How do you explain these people that come forth and break the tension of the paralysis of, of our time? Well... You could say they were touched by God Almighty, and you can say that, and I couldn't say you're wrong. I don't think you can say you're right. But <laughs> I mean, I know you will, but... <laughs> uh, Jameson is a psychologist that I like. She's written books about uh, these kinds of people. Recently, she wrote a book about the poet Robert Lowell. She mentioned something I'd forgotten called the Jungian archetypes. Freud, you know, thought everything was based on sex. That's because he was a cocaine-addled fool. The truth is, though, uh, it's like Jung said. Carl Jung abandoned Freud. He refused to be a disciple. I think he moved to Zurich, didn't he? And lived by the lake and built a very mysterious and tall tower like Montaigne did. Montaigne made a fortune in the court writing for the king, currying favor of the rich and the famous, the Kardashians of the king of France. And as soon as he could, he escaped, and he moved to the country. And you know what he did? You do know what he did, I hope. He built a very tall tower. It looked like a fortress, you know, from the outside. Actually, it was a library. It was a circular library. These are hard to find, but what a terrific idea. This reminds me of the time that I was at the University of Arkansas. You know, it has more than one library. But no, I didn't know that. I didn't know anything about it until I was there, and I was only there for a year. I wish I could have been there forever in the library. I didn't know it had so many libraries. There were libraries like the David Mullins Library. I once met David Mullins. He was coming down the stairs, and I was going up. He's ascended up to the stairs in the library of heaven, I think, because I haven't seen him in a while. There are a lot of very fine and creative people, and unusual, really, people uh, in Fayetteville. I once met a drag queen over there. I'd never heard of that. Very unusual artist, I think. 
I didn't really know much about it. While I was on the campus, I visited the library. I asked one of the bookkeepers to tell me how many books were in this library. Oh, she said, I think we have, uh, I think we have over a million. I had to lay down for a little while after hearing that. <laughs> I'm from Hope, Arkansas. Book. <laughs> Our library didn't have very many books. Come to think of it, maybe none. It did have a, a subscription, though, to Field and Stream magazine. You know, I hate hunting. And I hate football. I used to, I used to uh, read Field and Stream, and I would think, how can anybody like this? I did like the parts about traveling to Colorado, the beautiful mountains, and it was really good until the man started blowing the uh, mountain goat's life to pieces. That, I thought, was revolting. Not life-affirming for me. I was so thankful to have a father that sent me to college for just as long as I wanted to go. I didn't have to get his approval either. I could study anything I wanted to. And I did. I one time studied oceanography. <laughs> I understand the ocean better than anybody I know in the sense of I studied it scientifically. It's full of plastic and dead fish right now. It may be too late to fix it. I saw a picture of the uh, meeting of the three corners of the ocean where all the plastic of Western culture commodified capitalism comes together in a swirling sea of garbage. It looks like the gates of hell. Don't ever look at that picture. I can't make it go away. John Terrell Fry asked me to name three, uh, five movies that I like. Now you can see that I can't get past the first one if I ever get to the first one. <laughs> there at the University of Arkansas Fine Arts Library. I didn't know they had one, but I found it. Wow, that was the library of painting. That was the library of music. I liked drawing. It used to get me in a lot of trouble. It helped me a lot as a teacher. It's helped me a lot explaining things to my grandson. Plus, I like doodling anyway. I like to take old comic strips and cut them apart, stick them on a piece of paper, and rewrite the dialogue. Char Charlie Brown tells Lucy to, <laughs> I'm not gonna say it. <laughs> Blank off, Lucy, he says. <laughs> you couldn't say that back in my time. I saw Dan Stewart in a black, long sleeve, fine cut, artistic beatnik shirt. He was on a ladder. He was a very, very small person, very tall inside. Dan Stewart, genius. I miss him a lot. I asked somebody one day where he was so I could go visit with him. They kind of slunk their head down and explained to me that Dan was on a motorcycle coming around in Roston, I believe, when the truck lost its uh, bearing, ran over him. Or maybe it was he was backing out of his house. He didn't see it. He was over by the Church of Christ. And the Church of Reality ran over him, a log truck with the mighty southern yellow pine. 
I find myself talking like Dylan when I've been listening to him. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just the way it is. Here's an answer to your question, Mr. Fry, my good friend. I hope we meet again. The five movies that I could watch until forever comes. And I only mentioned one movie today. Movie number one, No Country for Old Men. I like every bit of that movie, but I especially like the start. When it starts, the screen is completely black. And then the white letters, No Country for Old Men. I assume that means this is No Country for Old Men. That's what I think it means. And then there's the voice of one of the great actors, a man from Texas with a uh, schooling at Harvard. Isn't that a pretty good mix? Isn't that a match? Yes, it is. It's the voice of Tommy Lee Jones. And the pictures that start rolling are very, very far away landscapes of no, a country that no old man can be in. <laughs> so it's dangerous and wild and empty and forever. Texas, West Texas. I'm from the East Texas, civilized Indian country. You know, the pine trees and the settlers and the whiskey and uh, trade, commerce, make a fortune. But this is on the West where people are free. That's what we've been told. Tommy Lee Jones's voice comes across he starts out something like, you know, I was the sheriff of this county when I was 25 years old. And he recounts his family and the events of that uh, wild Texas world. He said his grandfather was a sheriff and his dad was a sheriff. And at one time, he and his dad were sheriffs at the same time. His dad was a sheriff up in Plano, but Tommy says he was out in West Texas where the sky and the, and the horizon are so far away. You can see infinity. It's an amazing picture, isn't it? He says that um, he didn't carry a gun, but a lot of sheriffs did carry a gun because there's some bad people out there, and you don't want to know this, but they're really bad people, born bad and stay bad and die bad, and they do bad things. I can't explain them either, but and I've met some, but you'll know when you see them. You can't change them and you don't try to fix them. You just hope they don't kill you. I um, have met them. He says, the, I arrested a boy once. He killed a 14-year-old girl. People said it was a crime of passion. I asked him about it, Tommy Lee says. Wasn't no passion to it. He'd been planning to kill somebody for a long time. Tommy Lee says that's why it's tough to be a sheriff. I know I might have to give my life, but I sure don't want to push my chips and give it for something I can't understand. And that's really why I like that show. 
that show is filled with a lot of things that you just can't understand. No Country for Old Men, written by Cormac McCarthy, a very quiet fellow that you've probably seen if you've traveled in Arizona, New Mexico, the Four Corners. If you've seen a gentleman in an old western shirt smoking a camel cigarette unfiltered, sitting in the back, drinking coffee, real quiet, deep water. That's Cormac McCarthy, the William Faulkner of the Wild Wild West. Well, I got four more shows to go, and I think the next one we'll talk about is The Wild Bunch. Cheers. <laughs>